Hey, welcome to a special edition of the Splitting Hairs Podcast. In this episode, Kyle sits down with South Dakota State Athletics mental performance coach Chris Crock. Enjoy. Today we have Christopher Crack. Did I, am I spelling, saying that right? Crock. So if, if you think of it like a crock pot, uh, that's the best way I can use to describe nice. it. Then you're usually going to say it right every time. So it's unique. Is, uh, is it German or it, what's? It the, is very German. And if you nice. if you are truly German, you'll you'll put the T on the end and really emphasize that. But uh, we just go with the crock pot. Um, I guess analogy that seems nice. to work. <laughs> we have good experience with crock pots in blue and yellow. You know. Yes, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. Polakowski, right? So yes, it, it's um, fitting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he's a if he's German. That sounds a little Polish, but you know, you guys can can tussle over the crock pot nickname. That's right. I'll uh, <laughs> tussle number sixty nine. He's only got a few pounds on me. Yeah. Right. Well, Chris, <laughs> thanks for joining us. I just want to shout out our sponsors real quick: Cottonwood Coffee. Um, and the Bistro over there in Brookings. Love having them as a sponsor. Make sure you guys swing by and start your day with some espresso or coffee or your favorite beverage, perhaps an omelet. Um, and then Drake's Place. Can't uh, forget them. They're avid supporters of, of the podcast and everything SDSU Athletics. So appreciate you guys uh, for sponsoring the show. Um, now, for those who don't know, uh, Chris, you are the mental performance coach for South Dakota State Athletics as a whole, or which teams do you work with specifically? Yeah, so by definition, I am a mental performance consultant, um, which means the the different athletic programs at South Dakota State hire me as an independent contractor, an outside consultant, if you will, uh, to work with their program. So over the last couple of years, uh, I've worked with football, uh, volleyball, softball, men's and women's golf, uh, women's basketball, wrestling, and equestrian and soccer. I think I got them all. So I think that's nine individual teams once we count men's and women's golf as two. Oh, wow. So how do you balance uh, your schedule and tailor your message or the needs of of all those organizations accordingly? Yeah, it's been difficult. So when I started, it was, you know, the COVID season, right? So we had basically a majority of those sports I was working with all in season at the same time. And some of my days would start at 6 a.m., and get done with football around 9, 10 p.m., depending on when practice was that day. And so while the skills themselves don't change, right, mental performance skills or mental performance skills, how we apply them in those individual sports is obviously vastly different, right? So take a, a sport like football or even softball where it's very segmented. That's a lot different than applying it even in golf uh, compared to, say, women's basketball or soccer. And so certainly type of sport and how that sport functions will dictate a little bit how we apply those mental skills, but the skills themselves, the the fundamental foundational mental performance elements don't necessarily change um, from team to team or from sport to sport, but how we apply those based upon how their sport functions and operates is, is uniquely different as it is for each individual athlete, right? So they're a person first and an athlete second, and they all have their own unique needs and what works for them. And so it's also a challenge to find what works best for, for that individual student athlete's unique needs, along with their, their unique personality as well. Interesting. So uh, to that point, how do you know when you need to talk to the person or when you need to talk to the player? Because uh, sometimes I would imagine on the field or on the court or the pitch or the diamond or in the barn, um, yeah, right. You, you need to be able to know 
um, even when they're competing in their element, okay, maybe I need to talk to the person now, or I'm talking mm-hmm. to the to the player outside of their arena. Like, how do you know when to throw that, those hats on? I think what's important is that we have to realize that athletes are our people first, right? So as I say to coaches and student athletes, I deal with the human, the human element or the human side of sport. And they bring all of those elements with them to the court, to the pitch, to the diamond, to the field, to the pool, to the barn, whatever it may be, right? They can't check that at the door. And I think that that the first step in, in any sort of, uh, of approach is first, I really have to get to know the, the person behind the uniform, right? And so they don't really care who I am, what I know, or how I can help them until they first know that I truly care about them as a human being. And so to develop that trust factor uh, was number one thing for me to do. And so, for example, um, let's take the football program. I would hand out water uh, during training table, right? they could gather or, you know, collect their own bottle of water. It's not difficult, but it forced them to stop and talk to me. Right. And, and I wanted to learn about who they are and their background and where they come from and their family situation. And by doing that, we develop a different level of trust. And so when I approach that student athlete, let's say in a game, right. So with the football program, as an example, I, I do travel with the teams, all road games at all home games. Um, and have that authority, I guess, to, to provide them some, some consultation, some coaching right there on the sideline if need be. The only way that I can do that effectively is if I first know the human, if I know the person that's behind those pads, um, I think that's, that's really critical. And so no matter what, whether, um, you know, we're talking in the hallway or we're actually talking on the field itself, they're going to bring that human element and everything that comes with being a student athlete in, in, to, in today's uh, athletic world, they bring all of that with them and we can't separate it, right? We've got to be able to deal with it in the moment um, because they're a human first. And I think that's the first thing to remember is that they're an athlete second and a human first. Yeah, And, that's and sometimes we tend to get that backwards. Certainly. No, that's definitely uh, in line with Coach Stig's ethos. And I think pretty much what allows him to be successful and have had such a long tenure, among other things. But really that as the foundation of it, because, I mean, I think you're starting to see with um, a lot of different variables getting thrown into the fold, a lot of the rules changes and a lot of the success that they've been able to sustain. um, A lot of those come from just sticking to the basics, right? Caring about the the person first and and actually not just saying that, but embodying that. So, you know, that's a good little um, roadmap to follow. I think what's important is that, you know, the teams that I work with, I think really believe in that holistic development, mm-hmm. right? And that we've got to treat the the person, we've got to coach the person. And I think that that's what has allowed many of those teams, all of those teams, quite frankly, to have success at, at, at varying levels, high levels of success, and some have more success than others. But I think it starts with going to and through the coach and, and their belief that we've got to have holistic development. We've got to take care of their well-being. Yeah. Um, before we worry about production, right? Yeah. And, and so much of Division One athletics right now is driven on production. Yeah, no, that's uh, very Rogerian. Are you familiar with Carl Carl Rogers? I am familiar a little bit, yeah. Yeah, so he, uh, it, one of his, I guess, uh, approaches is to allow a person to present as they are, um, and then they'll show you who they are, and then you can start to whittle away and work on some of the finer details um, of, of things they're trying to accomplish with their work. Um, now, I do want to get into some of the tools and, and tactics you use to help athletes, but I'd like to learn a little bit more like about your origin story, if you will. So like 
Yeah. You're sitting uh, in a circle in kindergarten playing duck, duck, goose or duck, duck, gray duck. I know that's a, a common <laughs> hot topic. Uh, yeah. Like, what do you call it? Um, but you're in you're in class and teacher asks you what you want to be when you grow up and you go, I want to be a mental mm -hmm. sport, mental performance consultant. Is that yeah. how it went down? Not at all. <laughs> no, far from it, in fact. So like to give you kind of the brief version, uh, my passion when I was a youth was hockey. And I grew up in the state of North Dakota. And so automatically, I wanted to go play for the University of North Dakota at that time, the Fighting Sioux. My aunt and uncle were, uh, worked at UND. I grew up watching them. And during that time, they had some tremendous players like Eddie Belfort and Tony Herkitz, uh, who went on to have great NHL careers. And, and they were winning national championships. And I went to, to hockey camp. And so my dream was to go someday play for the Sioux. Um, my, but the problem was my high school didn't have high school hockey. And so I would have had to have transferred or not transferred necessarily, but I would have had to go play uh, for my rival high school, uh, go to school in my hometown, but then go play for my rival high school in hockey. Most of my good buds played basketball. And so I chose to, to stay in my hometown and play basketball, was not a good basketball player, but that's what my buddies were doing. And I wanted to be with my buddies. Um, from there, um, you know, I, I played football as well, a little bit in high school. I played baseball as a youth, I uh, had, um, uh, but I, I ended up taking up cross country and track. Those were kind of what my two sports kind of became in high school. Got the opportunity to do that in college. I chose not to. Um, I turned down the opportunity to run in college. Um, but in that process, I took up an activity called speech, um, basically competitive public speaking. And I became a state champion in high school, which then led me to have an opportunity to join the speech and debate team in college. And so I really had this decision about, well, what's going to get me down the path in life of what I ultimately want to do. I was never going to be a prolific runner, an Olympic runner. Um, and so I decided to really invest my time in public speaking. And so from there, then I got discovered by South Dakota State to come to graduate school in communication studies where I taught public speaking, um, why I also helped be the assistant coach for their competitive speech and debate team in college. Um, so think of it a lot like sports. With the exception is that in, in college speech and debate, there are no divisions. There isn't division one, two, three, NAI. It's just one against all. So South Dakota State goes up against the University of Alabama. It also goes up against Concordia College in Moorhead. Yeah. No, and so true. from there, so from there, I went on to Gustavus Adolphus College um, and I taught courses in communication studies. I was the director of their speech and debate program, um, won some national championships. We got as high as six in the country. And it was really in those moments of public speaking where I began to implement uh, uh, small pieces of mental performance to help not only my public speaking students deal with speech anxiety, but also help my, my competitive speech and debate students deal with performance, performance anxiety. Um, because I felt like our program had reached a certain level. I wanted to take it to a new height. We brought in a mental performance coach. Um, and that's kind of where my love of mental performance started. I've always been enamored with sports. I probably should have been a sports coach because the way I approached it was very much from an athletics perspective. I've read probably every major book there is about any big time coach that existed, particularly at the college level, because I've always been fascinated um, by college coaches. And so uh, part of what I, I, I read a book called The Inner Game of Tennis, which was recommended by Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll was at USC at the time, kicking everyone's butt. And he was a psychology major, right? And he was implementing all these levels of psychology. And, and I'd heard about this by watching College Game Day. And I'm like, this book is fascinating. So then I gave it to my speech students to read. And we did this whole uh, book study program on this book. And I just started to slowly implement it. Um, but then I got asked uh, to speak on it. 
various high schools would bring me in to talk about it. And I didn't feel like I was, I knew enough to be dangerous, but not enough to be competent where I felt like I ought to get paid to do it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what, what, what really drove me to go back and did the, get a degree in applied sports psychology. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'd always wanted to be involved in collegiate athletics. I clearly was not athletic enough uh, to do it from an athletics perspective. Um, but this was my way of, of getting my foot in the door with collegiate athletics and sort of combining my love of public speaking and teaching with mental performance. Because what I do every day is teaching. What I do every day is public speaking. Um, and I use athletics as the arena to help teach those life skills. Well, it makes sense because, uh, you know, if you fall in line with the literature, the number one fear that people have is public speaking, I believe, right? 100%. It's still the number one fear in America. Yeah. Higher than death. Yeah. Yep. It's interesting because everybody has an opinion on Twitter, though. Isn't that kind of funny? Isn't it true? People, and I think what yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I think what my background allowed me to do a little bit is that I, I've been a coach, right? And so I still believe coaching is coaching. Whether you're coaching public speaking, you're coaching football, uh, coaching is coaching. We're just coaching something different, right? But a lot of the coaching literature that exists is written in sport, but people that are executive coaches coach public speaking, et cetera, life coaches, they can learn from that body of literature. And I think, so it allows me, I think, to relate to athletic coaches because I have an understanding. I can empathize uh, to a degree in what it is that they're experiencing. But I've also been an athlete, but I think a tremendous advantage I have is I've not been siloed in athletics all my life. So I don't think I come to um, the field, if you will, with a one-size-fits-all approach because I can say, well, this is what I experienced and here's what I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know, you know, Kyle, you can, you know what it's like to play division one football, right? I, I don't know what that's like. I'd never played division one football. Right. But in some ways, I think that's a competitive advantage for me yeah. in allowing to help us, um, help, you know, our student athletes optimize their performance. No, it's a really good point. It's in some ways I'm able to work better with my therapist. Personally, I've been in therapy for about seven years now, just proactively, yeah. you know, life comes up. I, I want to, yeah. I want to stay ahead of the curve and, and yep. you know, I'm a human being, I believe, just like everybody else. And uh, one of the things that allows me to connect with her and her to me is she doesn't know a darn thing about football, which mm-hmm. was bizarre to me because I live in Texas. So, I mean, it's it's shocking. You think everybody, you know, around the corner knows football and is like a right. diehard. So it was a little bit refreshing, <laughs> but it allowed her to look at me through an unbiased, unfiltered lens and um, it's it's paid some dividends. So, yeah, I think that. You know, a lot of times, too, we have uh, this is like the Dunning-Kruger effect where just because we've yep. done something, we overestimate our competence in the realm to be able to then switch gears and do it in a different domain or from a different angle. And I think mm-hmm. that, uh, yeah, it's just it's it's humbling. You know, I, I think what what really benefited me, too, is that I played sports all my life. Like as a kid, I mean, I, I, that's all I did was sports. And this whole like sort of fine arts thing, I didn't really discover until much later in my high school career, totally by chance, right? And I, I don't, I can get into that story, but I don't need to, like totally by chance. I wasn't even supposed to be involved. And I just got cornered in the hallway by a speech coach who said, oh, you can talk. Your mom's done some stuff with theater. Why don't you try this, right? But I was trying to be an elite runner at that time. And so I've always loved college football in particular uh, since I was a little kid. I've been a huge Notre Dame football fan since I was about age 10. Um, And I've always said to my mom, and my mom will send me a text now, like the opening day or the the first day of college football, I always say Merry Christmas to her, right? And and we, we text each other Merry Christmas on the first day of college football because it's like this gift 
that we get to open and unleash and see really see what happens. And so for me to relate to athletes, I just think because I, I you know, I guess I was an athlete and I always sort of fought like that. Um, but my love of sports and, and really looking at sports, not so much from a fan's perspective, but really from a coaching perspective and, and certainly now a mental performance perspective, I guess when I, it's kind of like if someone takes a film class, they sit down to watch a movie much differently than, than your average person who just wants to be entertained, right? They're looking so at so many different aspects. And I think that's how I look at it from a, I guess, a science perspective, right? Rather than from a fan's perspective. No, that's really interesting. And I think from just if you played football at a high level or just even maybe regionally where they take it very seriously and you break down film, it's almost hard to turn that off when you mm-hmm. watch football um, or when you watch, like I watch football very differently than I'm sure. Like, 100%. You know, very comparable probably to a film yep. critic. And it's, yep. it's it's a little bit annoying if you're in the room with, with us and, and you're with people <laughs> who watch film that way. But no, I can completely understand yeah. where, you're, where you're coming from. So as you took your applied psychology degree to parlay it into a career in the field mm-hmm. as a consultant, were, were there some influences that drove you outside of just enjoying the speech competition element of it that kind of ushered you down that path that you're like, I kind of, I kind of want to emulate that gentleman or that, that woman's path. Yeah. I think that, you know, when I was, to be honest, my first introduction really to mental performance, besides the book of the inner game of tennis and other literature that I read, you know, the first person that I really met in the field was a woman by the name of Dr. Sindra Kampoff, um, who actually teaches at, at Minnesota State University, Mankato, and had, had worked with, I believe, our women's soccer team prior to my arrival here at South Dakota State. And she was the one that worked with our, our speech team at Gustavus Adolphus College. Um, and that was my really my first introduction. And Ever since that, I was I kind of been fascinated by it, and it wasn't until um, my wife really forced me to go back to school and said, sort of shut up and and really do what you preach, um, and stop talking about this. That I really you know sought to do that, and in that process, I obviously one of my mentors is Dr. Brian Zulager, um, who I had at Adams State University. Um, he got his PhD from the University of Missouri, mm. um, and and from there, I was also introduced to a woman by the name of Dr. Amber Selting, who was the mental performance coach for the University of Notre Dame football up until uh, this next upcoming year. I don't believe she'll be back uh, now that Marcus Freeman has taken over. Um, but they were probably three of my major influences, just just in terms of at the beginning. And certainly since then, um, I've been influenced by you know people like Dr. Rick McGuire and, and Dr. Vernacchia, who I was introduced to as a result of being introduced to uh, by Dr. Zulager and, and Dr. Selking. We all kind of come from the same tree um, and why you hear kind of like many of us talk the same way we do because we've been educated by the same people, influenced by the same people, and obviously have the same philosophies. And I think that um, what really intrigued me about their approach and what I think is, is, is unique about how we approach it here at South Dakota State is it's very much from a build it approach not from a fix it approach. And so I think too often mental performance coaches are brought in after a team blows a 21 point lead in the fourth quarter of a semifinal game, right? Or they've got this emotional athlete and the coach says, Oh, this, this, this athlete's a head case. Can you fix them, Chris? Yeah. And that really communicates and symbolizes this fix it approach that something is wrong with me rather than a build it approach, which says, Hey, we can build mental strength and give ourselves a tremendous competitive advantage just like we build physical strength. Mm. So you don't have to be sick to get better, right? Like we should go to the doctor on an annual basis to prevent 
um, illness from happening, right? Just like you don't go to strength and conditioning only when you go weak, when you feel weak, excuse me, you go three, four, five times a week to get bigger, more explosive, stronger, faster, all, all of those things. But just like we build your physical strength, we can also build your mental strength. And so when we approach it from a build it approach, which is what really attracted me um, to study at Adam State in the first place was that philosophy. I think it, it, it communicates uh, something much differently to the student athlete that says, oh, there isn't something wrong with me. I'm going to go see Chris because I want to lift weights with my brain. Mm-hmm. Just like I go see my strength and conditioning coach to lift weights with, you know, get my bicep bigger. The difference is, is we can see our biceps getting bigger. We literally can't see that our brain, it's, its shape and its, its form changing based upon how we're re- rewiring it. That's much harder to do. It's also why we sometimes have a hard time getting coaches to buy in because the results just aren't as obvious as they are physically. Yeah, certainly. And it's that's good on so many levels because, one, the build-it approach is grounded in Roger, Rogerian philosophy, which is obviously to assume that the person you're sitting across from may know something more about themselves than you might as an, ignorant, as an initial ignorant observer. And then um, I guess a, a question to that point is, so I understand the competitive aspect of speech. I understand the difficulty in being able to take your thoughts and materialize them into words and then execute on them. But is it like, is it like the book um, As a Man Thinketh by James Allen? As a man thinketh, so too is he because your thoughts become words, your words become actions. Is that the thought process? Yeah. So I would say that the fundamental model that we teach with, with all of our teams here at South Dakota State is, is our thoughts impact our emotions, okay? And then our emotions impact our physiology, right? How our body feels, okay? And ultimately how our body feels is what drives performance. Mm. So if my thought is, let's say I'm a defensive back, right? And I say, man, I can't cover this guy, right? And because I have that thought, now I have certain emotions, right? Those emotions could be ones of anxiety, it could be ones of doubt, of fear, uh, however, I may that that whatever that that emotion might be, but I feel that differently in my body, right? So maybe my heart rate increases, right? Uh, my my visual field field actually narrows, okay? Um, I might I might get tight in my shoulders, right? And because I feel that way, now that drives a certain level of performance. And what do I do? I get flat footed, right? I, I don't see the guy that's coming across me because my my field is narrowed so much. I don't see the whole play developing, and what happens is I get beat for a touchdown. And that all started with a thought. And if we know that performance, high levels of performance start with a thought, then why are we choosing to leave that to chance, right? And the way that I explain it to to coaches and to athletes is think of it like a table. A table's got four legs, okay? That first leg of the table is, is your physical preparation. And these athletes have spent their whole lives training physically, right? To get stronger, faster, more explosive. The second leg of that table is, is, is the, the technical side of your preparation, right? Like in football, as you know, um, every position has certain techniques, right? Again, that they've spent their lives honing um, and continue to hone to learn the technical aspects of their particular sport and of their particular position. The third leg of that table is, is the tactics, right? The tactical preparation. We've got to know game situations, plays, formations defenses, all these different things. And again, to speak in your terms uh, of football, and there isn't one division one program in the entire country that's not training physically, technically, and tactically. Everyone's doing it. Some are doing it better than others. Some are doing it differently than others, but everyone is doing that. Okay. We think 
I think, and I think the coaches that I work with at South Dakota State believe that the fourth leg of that table is your mental preparation, right? And if we take away that fourth leg, what happens to the table? Yeah. It, yeah. it crumbles, just like when I'm under pressure, the bright lights are on, it's fourth and one, and we need a critical stop against North Dakota State. Mm. I don't want to find out how you're going to react to that situation. So we don't leave anything in, in any of our sports to chance, right? We don't leave the physical, the technical, or the tactical to chance. Mm. But as I say, the brain, right, it drives those other three. So you can be the strongest athlete there is. You can know the game inside and out. You can be the most, the most technically sound athlete. But if on game day, right, your brain is like a junk drawer. And, and I'm sure many of our listeners have a junk drawer at home, right? And the problem with the junk drawer is it's got a lot of useless crap in it, right? Mm -hmm. Mom says there's a scissors in it, and that scissors is useful, and I need that tool right now, but I can't find it because I got all this other useless stuff in there. And that's what our brain is like on game day. I've got all these useless thoughts that are, that are just going back and forth in my head that doesn't allow all of that physical, tactical, and tactical training to show up, right? It doesn't allow me to have um, – on-demand execution of learned skills that I've spent my whole life automatizing because I don't have the right thought at the moment of execution. And so if we know that, then why aren't we intentionally systematically training it just mm -hmm. like we systematically intentionally train the physical, the technical, and the tactical? Wow. That's a really good, I like your analogy of the table. It almost makes me think too, like if you map that analogy onto like my era and definitely uh, eras that preceded mine, it's it's almost like that table or that fourth leg went unaddressed, underaddressed, or neglected and dismissed altogether, because it's so easy to to stick to what you understand. And if you know anything mm -hmm. about college football coaches, they lean more toward <laughs> highly conscientious personality disposition and yep. low in openness, so not a ton of creativity, unless you're talking mm -hmm. West Coast offenses. Um, and yep, so yep. They'll, they'll stick to what has worked for so long, so well. And that's one mm -hmm. of the reasons I, I really constantly uh, champion Stig on here because he, he assessed himself at one point and goes, um, okay, I need to open my aperture a little bit wider and see what can we do to get 1% better? You know, maybe it's mm -hmm. his mathematics mind uh, and his training <laughs> that allows him to recognize yep. that. But yep. um, no, that's a really great analogy. So then- Well, and I think to, to just, just to go quickly on that, like we've always thought if we roll the ball out, right? That somehow through, through sheer experience and, and modeling maybe that you're gonna develop mental toughness, right? That if you're in enough situations, eventually you're gonna experience it and know how to deal with it. And, to some degree, that, that certainly is how people learn. Don't get me wrong. But I also think as mental performance coaches, we've done a poor job of articulating what it is that we know and how it is that we can help coaches and putting it into terms that they understand. So while we can blame coaches to some degree, 100%, there's also a blame within, um, within my own field and that we've not allowed this information to be accessible to coaches and get them to understand how we can best serve them and I think it's following the model a little bit like strength and conditioning, right? Like 50 years ago, there was no such thing as a strength and conditioning coach, right? I mean, Nebraska kind of was the start of this. And now it's like, how many do you have, yeah. right? And everybody's got a strength coach down to high school teams. Mm -hmm. And I think mental performance is, is headed in that direction. I think it's going to take some time, but I think it's headed in that direction. But part of it is, is as, a, as a discipline, 
And as professionals, we've got to do a better job of articulating what we know and how that can be useful um, and getting it to and through the coach. Quite frankly, I can educate more coaches than I can athletes. There's yeah. way more student athletes than there are coaches, and there's way more coaches than there are me, but I can influence more coaches probably than I can athletes. And so if we create a more uh, a better environment that's more conducive to high performance, and because every athlete meets, meets sport at the coach, right? Yep. And if we can if we can have a better environment, then I think we're going to develop uh, happier athletes, which certainly lead to better athletes. Yeah, it's definitely looked at less and less as a luxury expense, but it certainly still is primarily mm-hmm. looked at as a luxury expense. And you kind of understand that, right? Because it's this it's the scaffolding or the evolution of hey, we're we got to take care of the pads first. All right, we mm-hmm. got the equipment. We were scholarship equipped from a financial standpoint. Well, now we got to get the players. Then you get the players. Then you evolve the staff, right? Um, so on and so forth. And you know that if the model is to emulate the best of the power five, which everyone's trying to do, it's keeping up with the Joneses. Well, they have digital health. They have catapult to check to make sure how, how many um, steps guys are getting in so they know the mileage on them. They're GPS trackers. They got the urine-specific gravity testing that they're doing to make sure they're hydrated properly. There's so many different tools in the kit, and it's almost overwhelming um, from a tool and resource standpoint. But, um, you know, I think nonetheless, it, it goes a long way. Uh, the more you can provide the young student athlete in terms of achieving that optimal performance. So you talked a little bit about um, the analogy of the table, and then you talked about systematizing uh, mental performance. So just narrowing our, our vision here a little bit, how, how do you systematize that for football athletes? Yeah, so, I mean, I would argue that, that there's probably roughly eight foundational elements that we've really tried to build, particularly within the football program and really with any of the, the teams that I work with. And, you know, to use, to use football, you know, from your own experience, you probably remember Coach saying one of the things that he always says is like play in the present, right? Mm-hmm. And so part of it is taking, I think, what already existed within the football program, like play in the present. And I think Coach Stig would admit to you, he would say, I'd always used to say it, but I don't know that we actually helped the, the, the student athlete play in the present. Like, how do you do that? Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so often I hear coaches yell things like focus, right? I'm sure Kyle, you, you probably had a coach yell at you focus, right? Focus, focus, focus. The problem is, is we know that, that focusing is a trainable skill. It's a learned skill, but we don't take the time to actually teach that. And I think that as sport becomes, I guess as, as, as sport becomes more specialized in terms of coaching, right? Like you take football, you've got a coach for each position. You've got a coordinator for offense, defense, and special teams. You've got strength and conditioning. Mm-hmm. You've got nutrition. You've got athletic training. Now we're going to add that mental component to it. My expertise is the mental side. So let's go ahead and, and, and teach these athletes uh, a system. And so some of the things that we talk about um, is really it starts with awareness, we have to be aware before we can enhance and just getting the student athletes really think about their thought life, mm. right? When they played well, when they played poorly, what were they thinking? What were they feeling? What were they doing? And so once we are aware of what's happening in our body and what's happening with our brain, then we can begin to do something about it. But in most cases, our athletes have not even been aware like, oh yeah, um, that's what my body does when I, when I get beat. Um, or when I give up a sack or I throw an interception, I didn't even realize what I was thinking, doing, and feeling until you really made me be aware of that. So part of that really starts with awareness. We spend a lot of time talking about motivation. We spend a lot of time talking about confidence, uh, composure. 
one of the things you're going to hear a lot, uh, particularly with the football team, is what's your number? What's your number? And what we're talking about is what's your intensity number, right? Mm -hmm. And for every athlete, that's very different. And, and I can remember working with an offensive lineman that would say, you know, I was listening to death metal four hours before the game while I was eating chicken. Um, and, and I was like, well, what are you, what were you doing to that chicken? Like, were you pulverizing it? And, and now that, that, that offensive lineman would tell you that I've dialed my number way back. Like I listen to classical music now, not because I told him what he needed to do or what his number needed to be, but by asking questions, reverse engineering it, right? Because they're an expert on themselves. I'm not. Yeah. And get them to really think about when you played well and when you played poorly, what was your number? And just giving them a terminology to really understand it and getting them to understand like, What's happening in, inside my body? What's happening? What's my brain doing? What's happening from a science perspective? And allowing them to understand that then allows them to make some choices um, that says, okay, here's what I need to do mentally to get mentally prepared to play at my best. I've got this, this physical routine that I go through that's regimented, but what's my physical routine to get, or my mental routine, excuse me, to get, to get ready for this game, right? Mm -hmm. I've got to be regimented with that. So we talk a lot about, about, routines. We talk a lot about uh, emotional mastery. We talk a lot about attentional control, which is concentration, right? And so we know that you got to be, you got to be present. You got to be in a positive state of mind. You got to be at your right number and you got to be, you got to be concentrating on the right things in order to be fully focused. Mm -hmm. Focus is a complex skill, just like a jump shot. Um, it's comprised of smaller skills. And if we teach those smaller skills, how to be present, how to have effective self-talk, how to be in that positive state of mind, how to be at the right number, the right intensity level. And what am I focused on, right? You know, from playing football, there's a lot of things that will distract you. Yeah. Right. There's, in the environment, it's chaotic. If I'm focused on the right things and I have those other elements, now I'm truly fully focused, but that's a trainable skill. And, and I think that, that I would argue the football team was doing some of these things and had some um, I probably provided some terminology that they weren't using, or I redefined terminology that, that they're already using. Um, but I provided them, I think, with a system that says, okay, here are things that I need to be thinking about as I prepare for practice, as I prepare for this game, so that I'm not only physically where I need to be, but, but do I have my mind right? Um, you know, we spend a lot of time on visualization. We do a lot of visualization within the program. Um, we do it the night of a, of a road game. We'll do it the night before, and we do it the morning of of a home game. Um, while I'll lead uh, the guys through a, a mental imagery routine, um, where they're using all of their senses, and we're really going through scenarios and, and thinking about our highlight reel. And when adversity strikes, how are we going to respond to it? And let's see ourselves respond to it. We spend a lot of time on breathing, a lot of a lot of mindfulness, right? How do I stay in that present moment? Um, and how do I how do I talk to myself like a champion? Mm. Um, and so, as we know, you know, athletes they behave as champions way before they ever achieve the championship itself. Interesting. And now you don't have to give any specific examples on this, but when you first started, were you seeing a lot of players or just maybe not even a lot, just some that were succeeding in spite of their mental uh, software that were really down on themselves, maybe had a little imposter syndrome, um, didn't feel like they should be where they are, didn't feel like they should be performing the way they are. Um, but we're succeeding in spite of themselves. And the only reason I bring that up is because it's fresh where uh, DK Metcalf uh, is an mm. incredible athlete. And he just talked about his diet with Shannon Sharp <laughs> on a recent episode. And out yeah. of spite, he doesn't want to eat a better diet to reach a higher ceiling. 
Um, mm-hmm. And to me, that looks like he's going to succeed in spite of his preparation. So are there athletes that maybe aren't being um, stubborn or bullheaded like that, but who are just simply down on themselves that you know of that are succeeding in spite of that? Yeah, I, I think what, you know, if we really think about about mental performance, I think what it does is is it allows athletes to reach their physical potential, right? By combining the the the, the emotional, the psychological, and the physical aspects of high performance. And so I think athletes certainly can can achieve despite this training or in spite of, mm-hmm. but I think what happens is, is I don't know that they reach that level of consistency, mm-hmm. right? Where they, they optimize their, their, their ability at a consistent level. And so what we see is a lot of athletes that, are, that kind of ride the emotional roller coaster or the roller coaster of results, right? Like they're up mm-hmm. one game and the next game they vanish. And so I think that what, for some of our student athletes, what it's allowed them to do is, is to have a more consistent level of performance at the upper range of their ability, right? So you probably know from your own experience as an athlete, you had a, a range of ability, Kyle, and I, and I, because I didn't see you play in person, I don't know what that range is. But what I mean is that, that some, some guys might have that ability in, in terms of football, let's say, to be an All-American, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe they got a chance to be an NFL draft pick. Some guys might just be a, a solid starter. Some might be a career backup. But everyone's got this range of ability. And can we get them to perform at the upper levels of that ability more consistently, but more importantly, when it's difficult, Mm. when it matters most? Um, And when it matters most is on game day. So as you know, from your experience, there's a lot of a lot of student athletes that are awesome practice players, right? You watch them in practice like, whoa, that's an All-American. And then we throw the chaotic environment of game day under the bright lights, under the intense pressure. And they've crumbled, mm. right? And and so I think what 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 it what it helps is is giving them to, to to perform more consistently. I also think that when we approach it from this build it approach, and we refer to it, you know, particularly in masculine sports like football, we talk about it more like mental toughness. Mm. Um, I think it. And you said you want a competitive advantage on the field. You want another tool in your toolbox. Most athletes are like, yeah. Right. And, and again, you know, because uh, take football, the Missouri Valley Football Conference is it's got some ballers in it. Right. Like, just go look at the most recent NFL draft. The, the margin of victory is narrow, so narrow in our football conference. It's narrow in the Summit League and in, in all of our sports. We've got to have some way to separate ourselves. And I think that mental performance is one way that we can certainly equip our student athletes. So when they go against another player one-on-one, right, or another team where skills might be equal, and in some cases, maybe their skill set is at a higher level, but we can outperform them because we're going to be more consistent. We know how to deal with chaotic environments. We know how to deal with adversity. Because I don't know if I believe so much in mental toughness as I believe in either you're trained or you're untrained. Yeah. Um, and as I say to our teams every week, we're going to be trained. Um, that yeah. doesn't guarantee that we're going to be successful. It does not guarantee wins. But yeah. what it does is it gives us a great chance to deal with everything that happens in, in, a, in a sporting element um, and allow us to deal with it in a manner that, that allows us to have more success than if we weren't training it. Um, yeah. And so – that's what I think it, it boils down to. Yeah, no, that's uh, well put. And I think the literature bores that out too. I think it's more based on personality than it is, um, you know, mental toughness. And I actually think that it's a good paradigm shift we're starting to see. 
in the sport where it's not sacrificing the body to train the mind, which those are, you know, that's a bad dichotomy, right? Like Mm -hmm. you don't want to be caught in that mud. Um, And and I think you touched on a really interesting point uh, with respect to uh, emotional mastery, particularly in the lead up to games, because, you know, back (laughs) when I played, it seems like it's definitely getting longer and longer ago, which I don't know how I feel (laughs) about that. I need some mental uh, emotional mastery coaching on that because that's that's Mm -hmm. hard to cope with these days. (laughs) But, uh, But, you know, we would have guys that would literally completely be emotionally dumped, drained mm-hmm. prior to kickoff. And it's yep. just because we're they get so amped up. Yep. So is it something to the effect of like working up to the crescendo of music or something like that? Or, or Yeah. It's, so like, here's what we do, right? And I'm, I'll use football again as an example, since I know, you know, many of our uh, audience listeners and, and we do this with all our teams, right? It's just different on how we do it. But like, we really look at, we, we take, give them a, a worksheet and it really plans it out from the beginning of the, of the day to the end of the day, really the night before, right? And so we, we go with stages. So like, what are you thinking, doing and feeling the night before? And what does your intensity number need to be at, right? Again, from zero to 10, zero basically being asleep and 10 being like, I'm ready to rip my shirt off and, and, and run through a wall, okay? Mm-hmm. And then the next morning, what are we at during the walkthrough, right? What are you doing? Um, you know, during our meal time, what are you doing on on the bus to the stadium? What are you doing during, um, you know, uh, individual sessions, right? What are we doing during our our, um, our team warm up? What about the individual warm up session? What are you doing literally ten minutes before we go out into the field? So we break it down into these segments and get them to really think about what do I need to be thinking, what do I need to be feeling, what do I need to be doing, right? So like we've got a guy on the team who will spend he'll pace around the locker room. That's what he needs to do to stay at his level, right? We've got another guy that'll be sitting in his locker, earphones in, looking down, has no idea what's going on around him. We all have another guy that says, I need to get out of this environment altogether, Mm. right? I don't want to listen to the music. I'm going to go down a hallway and I need to be by myself. Mm. Part of them is getting to understand themselves and say, when you're at your best, what are you doing? But then getting the coaches to understand, we got to allow them to be who they are in those moments. Right. And so this player who's down the hallway is not anti-team, mm. he's not anti-social. It's just his way of getting better or of getting in the right frame of mind to play at his very best. And so what we want to understand is like, what do I need to be at? Some guys before the game need to be at a seven. They need to get that adrenaline running at an eight. Then when the game starts, they got to come back to a five. Right. Um, I'll, I'll take a player who I'm not going to name. I remember at Northern Iowa during the spring after the first quarter, Actually, after the first drive, he came over to me and said, Chris, I'm shot, man. Like, like I, I was so jacked up before the game. Like, I'm exhausted, right? And it was hot in there. Like, they cranked the heat up. You know, we had all this COVID time. We're so excited to play football. And he's like, man, I'm exhausted, right? And I said, okay, let's work on how do we turn it down, right? You, right now, your dial is way too high, right? We got to learn how to turn it down. And so it's not so much about what number am I at at the moment. It's like, do I have the ability to turn it up? And do I have the ability to turn it down? Yeah. And we do a lot of that with breathing. We do some of that with music. And we do a lot of that with movement, mm. uh, whether that's explosive movement or slow movement. And one of the examples I use with the guys is if you watch the national championship between Georgia and Alabama, um, you saw their quarterback. Uh, his name's escaping Bennett. me at the moment. Yeah. Seth uh, yeah. Bennett, right? 
that first drive, right? I mean, he drops the ball. There's nobody around him, right? He gets sacked on the first play. I think it's the third down. He's running. Not, nobody within, it seems like, five, ten yards of him, and he just drops the ball, right? The game was going at warp speed for him, right? And he could tell this moment was big. I'm a Georgia boy. We could win this national championship. And it's like, whoa, there is a lot going on right now. And if you noticed him on the sideline, he went for a walk, Yeah. right? He slowed his breathing down. Mm -hmm. He just didn't decide to do that. Like, oh, I think I'm going to try this. He was trained to handle that moment. So he realized, okay, my number, whoa, I'm way too high, right? I'm pegging at a 10. That's not how I play my best. And I don't know what his number is, but I'm guessing it's much lower than that. So like, I would say most of our offensive linemen, they play their best at a five or a six. Yeah. But in football, they were taught from a young age, you play your best when you're, yeah, you know, exactly. right. We got to be at a 12, right? Yeah. Like, oh. And what they've learned is like, oh, when I do that, I don't have control of my breathing. I don't have mm. control of my thoughts. My heart rate is, is, is way too high. My, my mm. eyesight's going at all these different things. And I don't even see this, this guy blitzing over here, right? Or I overrun the guy I'm supposed to the block. Mm. All because it really started with a thought, but they need to understand that emotional regulation piece. What's happening in my body? And how am I interpreting that? And do I have the skills then to do something about it? Um, that's what's most important. And I think that's where that applied sports psychology comes into play, which is all this theory of high performance is great in a classroom. But if we can't make it applicable and useful on the field, then what's the purpose of it? Right. And, and that's true, I think, in like education in general. Right. Like, why am I taking this class? What am I going to use it for? Right. So I felt in every math class I ever took in my life, mostly because I struggled with math. Yeah. But like. That's what I try to get the guys to say, okay, here's the theory behind it. Here's what it means, but here's how we can actually, here's, here's your toolbox, your skill set that we can, that I can help you with that moment. They're like, oh yeah, I remember feeling like that, right? You know, like mm -hmm. I remember a player before Colorado State uh, coming to me when we went out on the field after the, the rain delay there, the place was jumping. Yeah, Man, people, real quick, let's bookmark that real quick. People forget there was a fairly significant rain delay. I was at that game. 100%. And that, that's hu a huge disruptor to your mental mental performance and your emotional mastery, right? But what we relied on is, you take go back to the national championship game. We'd spent time visualizing a rain delay at the national championship. We knew it was going to rain. So you manifested it is what you were saying. 100%. I said, you're going to be wet. You're going to yeah. be uncomfortable. You're going to be like a soggy dog. Let's we're going to prepare for this, right? So when it happens, our brain's like, oh, yeah, I, I've been here. I've done this. I'm, this mm -hmm. isn't surprising me. So then we had that big delay at the national championship, which you heard every guy in the locker room saying is, hey, we're built for this. We've been through this. We know how to do this. And so what did they do? They brought it way down, right? They, they kind of remained um, physically passive, I would say, right? So they don't use up a lot of physical energy, but stayed mentally active, right? And some of them thought about football. Some wanted nothing to do with football, mm. right? But again, they know themselves best. They've been given tools to deal with it. But when we went back out after the rain delay, that place was jumping. You had 10,000 students, I swear, they've been drinking since noon that were ready to unleash on us and said all kinds of things to us. Of course, we warmed up at that end zone or that end, right? And I remember one guy coming to me and saying, Chris, like, whoa, man, like you could just, he's, he's kind of a high energy guy as is and gets kind of jacked up to begin with. And he's like, whoa, man. Things are going really fast for me. And I said, okay, I want you to focus on me. And what we did is we, we turned his focus inwards, right? And by, by focusing inward, all the stuff that was going on around him kind of faded away. I said, I want you to look directly at me. Let's focus on our breathing, right? We just, and we spent, you know, 20, 30 seconds breathing together. 
Mm. Right. It lowered his heart rate. Right. Which lowered his intensity level. Now he had breath control because he had breath control. He could have thought control nice. and he went out and had a great game. Um, but part of that is have that awareness to say, I'm way too high right now. And yeah. the environment is part of what, what created that. And so we spend time visualizing the environment, right? Like, you know, we're going to go play at North Dakota State this year. I'll bring all kinds of things to get them to be in that environment and say, how are we going to deal with this? Good. Um, because it's unique. Yeah. No, that's that's beautiful, especially because the body obviously manifests the energy, the thought energy, because the body keeps the score. So if you're if you're up late the night before a game and you can't get to sleep and that anxiety is just mounting and mounting and mounting to have a toolkit now and a, and a person dedicated like yourself to be able to support the mitigation of that kind of um, self-imposed stress, if you will, on top mm -hmm. of it. Right. Because there's the act that creates the stress or the distress or the use stress. And then mm -hmm. there's the response to it that either compounds yep. it or helps to filter and channel and stuff like that. That's, that's awesome. And part of it is, is, is really getting them to understand and interpret. How do we, how do we interpret it? Right. So it can facilitate a higher level of performance. Like there was a study done with some skydivers. One group went up there and they, they basically measured their body's physiology and they, they experienced the same feelings in their body. But one group interpreted it as like, I'm about to die. Oh. And another group was like, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. Like, what an experience. Yeah. So they interpreted their body's physiology entirely differently, right? Mm -hmm. But we've been taught from a young age that like nerves are bad, right? Yeah. And that something's wrong with me. And so part of it is getting them to understand what's happening in their body and why that is not a bad thing, mm -hmm. that it's normal. And it's just your body's way of saying, hey, this is important. Yeah. I got you today. You're prepared for this. It's my way of saying I'm about to deliver the performance of my life. Um, and now when we interpret it differently, now we think about it differently and, and likewise, it will reduce then some of that performance anxiety that can take place because the anticipation is oftentimes worse than oh, the totally. event itself. Right. Yeah. And you'll get those type a people like myself or, or some, I guarantee you have a lot of those now where they, <laughs> unfortunately they add valence to the situation or they, they get too hard on themselves and really they need to get out of their own way. I mean, it's not like I personally didn't allow coaching, but I needed to allow other people to either build me up, bring me down, do, do whatever they needed to do to, to right the ship. And I think that's that's so important because uh, I, I was fortunate to be uh, work alongside with Trevor Mawad. Are you familiar yeah, with him? Yeah, I am familiar with Trevor, yeah. Yeah, so unfortunately Trevor passed, passed away. away. Yeah. Um, but he, man, his work will certainly live on. He did a lot of great work. Uh, he wrote, uh, it takes what it takes yep. and getting to neutral. And I think getting to neutral would have been so valuable. Like you said, checking your number as well. Same, same difference. Yep. Um, it would have been such a useful thing to deploy because I mean, obviously it's easier, like his, his analogy is it's easier to get to drive in a car or reverse if you're neutral and you yep. don't add excess thought work to the equation. I think a great example of that, Kyle, that, that our listeners will understand is, is if you recall back in the playoffs uh, during the COVID season, we were down was it 10 points at halftime to Southern Illinois, right? Probably didn't play our best half of football. A lot of right. things happened. Um, I would say that our team was very neutral in that moment, right? It, they, they admitted the past happened, right? Like we didn't play well, mm -hmm. but they also didn't enlarge the moment, right? They didn't, they didn't enlarge what had happened and, and realize that, okay, I can't let my feelings dictate my actions, right? And how do I sort of unhook from that 
But at the same time, what's the next action I can take to be successful, right? Literally, what's the next thing that I can do to be successful? And obviously went out and had a pretty good second half. Um, but I think that, that that was the moment, in my opinion, when I realized our training was taking hold, just how the guys acted in, in the locker room and the things that where they were saying. But I think that's a great example uh, to kind of give our listeners a little bit of an inside yeah. view of it is that that was a moment when I felt like our guys really remained neutral because research tells us that there's no research that says thinking positive actually delivers a higher level of performance. Um, but we do know what doesn't deliver a high level of performance, and that's negative, negative things, exactly. right? So sometimes I think we spend so much time thinking about positive, but like when you're down 10 points at halftime, not that that's an insurmountable lead by any by any moment, but there wasn't a lot to really be positive about, right? It can be hard to get in a positive state of mind, mm -hmm. but I can control and I can believe, and it's very objective, what's the next thing I need to do to be successful, right? I mm -hmm. can believe that, I'm in control of it, it's a very objective thing. Maybe I can't believe right now that, you know what, I'm the best quarterback in the Missouri Valley Conference. Yeah. Maybe that's hard for me to believe right now because I just threw two interceptions. But I do know I can go out and win the next play, and here's how I do that. And so I think that's a great example of neutral thinking. No, that's a great uh, depiction of reverse engineering, too, because what you said is, all right, what, are, what is the next thing I can do? In, in, I remember in an interview, Isaiah Davis, right before half in that Southern Illinois spring playoff game, was like, all right. We're down 10. They're kicking off to us. Maybe I can at least just get the ball and get in great field position to set up a set up a potential scoring opportunity. I don't know if we were down at 10 at that point. I think it might I think have been. We were down 13 at that 13. point. Got a, exactly. Yeah, got a field goal. Yeah. And so he got he got us into that 10 range, which is scoring distance, cuts it to two scores, two touchdowns, takes the lead. And then we all know the rest. It, it, it's history. But, and mentally and emotionally, 10 to 13 felt very different. Very different. Very different. And that's, a, that's another great example, right, of what's the next thing I can control that can lead to success. And in, in Isaiah Davis's case, you're right. It's like, okay, I can, I can deliver a good trick return. That's something I can do. I got to catch it, run, trust my blocking, all the different things. And, and if I do that, I can control that and let's see what happens. Yes, sir. Well, I want to be mindful of your time here, Chris, yeah. but I also want to get to a couple, couple questions here. So now you, we've, we've discussed how to to systematize uh, your mental uh, toolkit for them, um, for athletes across sports, but namely football. Um, and keeping on football topic, uh, we've had athletes who've sustained season-ending injuries, two, mm. two key positions to speak of. And as we springboard here into a new, uh, kind of a new era, we lost uh, a lot of leadership, um, leadership that will be hard to replace, but the Jacks have a, a really good knack for reloading. Um, not only with it from a talent perspective, but from a leadership perspective. Um, and then so these folks coming off injuries, uh, Mark being one of them, um, who had a heck of a, you know, freshman campaign. Um, how are you, I guess, helping them prepare going in uh, him, both him and Landon, I should mm -hmm. say, uh, going into this upcoming season? I think that uh, what we have to understand that when we have a physical injury, there's also a, a mental injury that goes with that right and we have such great trainers within our program starting with our head our head trainer for football you know, charlie miller um, who does a tremendous job with them both not only from the the physical rehab but also does a great job of just walking them through that and being even a, a mental resource for them as well um, in that process right because he sees so much of the of the work done in the dark that that certainly none of the fans see and, and even to some degree many of the of the people that are in the building don't always see on it on a daily basis 
but I think in, in helping them is that there's always going to be that, that physical barrier. There's also going to be that psychological barrier. And so we certainly have spent some time visualizing, um, which we know from research when we, when we visualize, um, seeing ourselves play in, in a manner that we used to, it actually can, can speed up, um, the the recovery from the injury right it can in whatever the, that is that they're rehabilitating right it can actually speed up that development um we've, we've done a great job i think of keeping them connected to the team right mm -hmm. and being in part of that like certainly mark traveling with us all fall as an example um, and getting them to be connected but but a lot of what we talk about is is really getting them to understand from day one what are the barriers that you're going to the adversity that you're going to face right and I remember, you know, even talking to Landon and say, Landon, I want you to write a letter to yourself mm. and say, okay, what's this process going to be like? So that when things happen in this process, it's not a surprise to us. It's not, it doesn't shock our system because we've anticipated it, right? Mm. But then also, what are the tools you're going to use to overcome that adversity? Um, what are the tools you've already used to overcome other adversities in your life, right? That, that, that you can draw upon um, in this moment. And so we've spent some time, you know, certainly visualizing what that process is going to be like, but then it's also about being realistic, um, and understanding that, you know, when, like, for example, when Landon and Mark both came back, they're not going to come back exactly where they left off right. prior to that. Right. And being patient with that process and understanding that and having some perspective mm. and understanding a little bit of perspective taking, but then really celebrating every step of the way. Right. Yeah. Like the first time you you run, right? Like mm. just jog, man. Let's celebrate that like we've won the national championship, um, and let's make note of that, mm. right? And so um, each athlete's a little bit different, um, you know. Really getting them to rely on their support system, like like who's at their their table, if you will, mm. right? Who are those people that they lean into, whether that's you know spiritual, physical, technical, tactical, mental. Mm you know, all of the different people that might be in their inner circle, who are those people that they can lean into and really stay connected to those people. And so again, it's really different for each one, um, what it is that we do, but, but there is a great deal of research on, on the mental side as, as it relates to overcoming um, injury, particularly a significant injury that's like a season ending injury, like both Mark hmm. um, and Landon experienced. And oh, so yeah. we're working through that process right now, right? Like they're going to experience certain things. It's, it's like anything that, you know, I think at first, do I, can I trust my knee, right? Can I, can I plant, right? When I get hit and just overcoming that. But if we can visualize those things ahead of time, again, our body says, Hey, I've been here before. Yeah. I, I've experienced this. I, I know what to do. And, um, you know, we kind of manifest it, right? Yeah. So to, to unpack that a little bit, it, that's really, that's really nice. You have the, the visualization element that quells the anxiety of the novelty of yep. experiencing that that rush or that suddenness for the first time when you see adversity or when you see unexpected stuff mm -hmm. and then you have um visualization uh right and then you have your support system mm -hmm. um so that's uh and then you have the celebration of the milestones to and, and that probably would ingrain a lot of gratitude too right some 100 i mean one of the things that we talk about all the time is like is really getting our athletes to say what are you grateful for today right yeah. what are you looking forward to today right but then also getting them to think about like, what did you do well today, right? So like, whether it's an injured athlete or not, um, you could have thrown, you know, three interceptions in a game, but you did something well today, right? I, I could be one throw, it's, you know, I really ripped that post, right? Maybe you were one for 10, but like, man, you ripped that post, right? And because our brain's got this negativity bias, right? And so 
part of it is is for them to, is certainly to, to, to be grateful uh, and understanding um, that, that this is going to be a process that, that, that it's a journey um, but but being there for them emotionally and understand what's happening emotionally to them but yeah it's uh, it's certainly and we connect them also I try to connect them usually they know people that have experienced a similar injury right and say okay you know people that have had this injury right or maybe something similar right I remember you know, Landon saying there's, there's a guy I think I could talk to at Oklahoma state um, that went through a, a similar injury and say, okay, what were their experiences like? Right. And say, okay, I'm not the only one who feels this way or who is experiencing this or feeling this. There are others like me. I, I am like them. I'm going down the same path. This is not unique. I'm not in this alone. And sometimes we can rely on that because I've not torn an ACL. I couldn't tell you that I can, I know what that's like. Yeah. Right. No, there is an alienation element of it because I mean, you're, you're kind of, you're rehabbing, you're on the outside looking in, you got your boys who are, who you were sweating with, bleeding with, you know, crying with during all the off season training and all that. And then you, you turn around and, you know, it's been taken from you. So that gratitude yeah. element really just helps to, um, yeah, bring you back to balance. But I think it's also like, what's the, how do I see what the positive is in this? Yeah. Right. Like what, you know, like I said, both to Mark and Landon, your brain didn't, didn't, I mean, your brain suffered an injury. Yes. But your brain is not, you know, it's not injured like your knee as an example, yeah. right? Like this is a great time for you to really invest in your mental side or what can you invest in academically, professionally, right? That maybe, you know what, if I'd been healthy, I wouldn't have the time to maybe do some of these things that now I can do. Right. And so let's take a moment and say, okay, what can maybe be the advantage, the competitive advantage in this, the benefit uh, that, that, that I can gain from this experience that, you know what, when I come through this on the other side, here's how I'm going to be stronger. Here's how am I going to be better? And if I had not gone through this, mm. I wouldn't have experienced these things. I wouldn't have these things. And when you're dealing with people like Mark and Landon, um, you're already starting ahead because of, uh, of the mindset, quite frankly, that they had coming into the program. They're tremendous people, uh, tremendous students, tremendous student athletes, tremendous leaders. Um, and it, you know, um, just just who they are as people certainly put them ahead of the game. I would argue to begin with it. If God was going to injure two people, uh, maybe he injured the wrong two people, but maybe he injured the two right people. If, if that makes yeah. sense, yeah, and no, it's a way to handle it is, is tremendous. Yeah, it's that cliche like he saves his toughest battles for his strongest soldiers, right? Hundred so percent. It's even though it's kind of corny, it's you know it keeps repeating itself for for good reason. So yep. you yep. know another thing that I like that you said, I, it might have been unintentional, but. You started the analogy with the legs of the table, and then you yep. talked about who's at your table. So yeah. I, I find that analogy complete, right? Because who's setting the table? You got to set your table. If, mm -hmm. if you don't have the four legs of the table, it's not going to have a sturdy foundation, right? And then yeah. if people aren't at your table with you. That's probably the biggest element that's very difficult in this day and age, right? Because oh, and I I, I firmly believe that that we are a byproduct of sort of the the five people or so that we hang out with the most, right? And I always tell the student athletes really think about the people you're hanging out with. Are they providing? Are they creating an environment? that's conducive to high performance for you, right? Is it a positive environment that allows you to become the best version of you? Mm -hmm. uh, that's all we're asking for, right? It's for you to become the best version of who you are and really get them to examine who are those people and are those people actually contributing to that or are they detracting from that? Um, but then asking them, you know, who, who's at your table for your, for your physical conditioning? Who's at your table for your mental conditioning? Who's at your table for the tactical? 
the technical, the spiritual, you know, the faith development, if that's something that's important to you and getting them to identify who is that, that, that circle, because in this era of social media, mm. you know, like whatever, I've got 800 friends on Facebook. I really don't have 800 friends. Yeah. Right. And, but we think we do and not everyone's in it for the right reasons and, and has our best interest at heart and really getting them to understand that if I'm going to be a high performer, I've got to create an environment that's conducive to high performance. And part of that starts with who are the people that are that are at my table that are that I can lean into and lean on um, when I need to. that are going to allow me to become the best version of who I am. Definitely. And make sure there's no energy vampires, people stealing food off your plate at that table. Right. right? That's what social media can do a lot nowadays, too, because, man, I just I really empathize with for the kids. And I would I would highly suggest maybe abandoning social media um, because I think it's noise. But, uh, but you know, that's their choice. It's, it's become, you know, I, I didn't have to deal with that when I was in college and, 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 you know, these things didn't exist. And so, you know, I just look at it as an example. Um, I love college so- uh, women's softball. It's tremendous. I watched uh, every game this weekend that I could get my hands on. And um, I paid a little closer attention to Missouri because I really thought that's where the Jacks were going to end up, yeah. right? When when we came out, but like this weekend, things didn't go their way for them, right? And they, they ended up not advancing. But like some guy went after some of the student athletes on Twitter, right? And said, "Oh, I'm so thankful for these students, these seniors to be done. Yeah. Uh, they they're a disappointment. This this and that. And what these student athletes have to deal with, just because they're now accessible via social yeah. media, right? It's not hard for a fan for a rube." to get connected to a student athlete at one time, they could probably say it in the stadium and then it, it evaporated and yeah. the student athlete never even heard it. Right. Mm-hmm. And now they're cowards, right? They don't have to, they don't have to say it to your face because if they had to, they wouldn't. So now they can say it on social media. And I think that, that it's created a unique and, and barrier to high performance, not only that aspect, but also the comparison aspect. Mm-hmm. And so you're right. Um, we try to educate them and say, stay off social media when do you choose to look at it? How often do you choose to look at it? Um, but let's be honest, both you and I don't live in a vacuum. I'd be lying to you if I, you know, uh, after a game, before a game, don't check out Twitter. And yeah. uh, w- w- what are what are people saying? And, you know, um, and some of it I find absolutely hilarious, right? Because yeah. you're on the inside, you're like, you have no idea what's happening, right? Yeah. And so some of it's just fodder for myself, yeah. to entertain, you know. Um, but also I can use some of it to my advantage a little bit. But I really think yeah. it's about educating, you know, the student athletes. And again, it's about who's, who's in my inner circle, right? And, and who am I allowing to get my attention? And as I say, like, wh- where you place your focus is what you're going to find, right? There's a lot of crap in this world right now. Mm. Um, you know, just exemplified by, by certainly the school shootings that happened yeah. yesterday, right? And if we want to focus on all the negativity that exists in this world, then we're going to find it. And, and quite frankly, not to, to, to swear here, but it's a pretty shitty world. Then. Yeah. And we can choose to focus on that or we can take our focus somewhere else, right? Because where we place our focus is what we find. It's oftentimes what we think. Hmm. And, and too often we tend to highlight or put that spotlight on, you know, pardon my French again, that jackass who sits in row five, who's yelling at us, who has nothing, can, has nothing to think about, but this football game. And then when we lose, you know, let's take the, U, the USD game as fans, they've got six or seven days to, just talk about it and worry about it because the next thing that they can control is being in that seat that next Saturday where those of us inside the building approach it very, very differently. Yeah. Right. And, and again, where do we as coaches, where do we as student athletes choose to place our focus? We can go listen to all that noise 
And if we do, it's likely to, to zap our vitality, oh, yeah. to zap our energy and, and take away our focus from the things that we truly can control, um, yeah. which is that next action, right? That says, hey, I'm mentally tough. I'm going to focus on the next thing that I can control that's going to allow me to be successful or give me the best chance at being successful. Yeah. Um, and so part of it is, is teaching them how do we do a failure, right? Yeah. And, and there's a lot of aspects to that. So yeah, social media is a new element that, that certainly athletes in, in previous generations and, and usually most of our coaches have not had to deal with when they played. Yeah, definitely. No, and, and that's a good method. You're probably going to have to stay tapped into that for your purposes of, you know, deploying tactics to help them out because, you know, they're probably going to look at that in some way, shape or form, or some of that's going to seep in somehow because they're human and they're young and developing. Yep. Right. So yep. Um, yep. I do think that the incentive structure hopefully will change around some of it as we're starting to see the collective impact that it has and how negative it is at just writ large how the barrier to entry to say something negative, it mm. should cost you something. There's no right. cost to throw something into the fold that could be just so detrimental to someone that we don't, that we don't really know. Well, we do know the effects of it. There's been studies on the Facebook, um, you know, Facebook impact of, you know, bullying and, and harassment. And um, I, I think uh, definitely if you got some insight you want to share on that, please do. But I want to, I, I got to yeah, get go out of here. Um, but I also, I want to thank you for your time. It coincidentally, I believe is mental health awareness month. It um, is. And so that's a huge thing. I know I've heard you say on the different difference makers club, you're not a clinical psychologist. Correct. So you don't sit down and get prescriptive really with them as far yep. as, you know, what's going on with some trauma that they may have experienced past, present, or potentially in the future. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I think you're a huge help, man. And, uh, I, we could have used you, I know. Um, and so I'm, I'm just excited to see what your work kind of materializes into this year. Well, I appreciate that, Kyle. It's, uh, I am a jackrabbit. So obviously our success, both as, you know, competitive success, but also their success just as being productive citizens and, and tremendous human beings is, is personal to me, right? Because I am a jackrabbit. I, I'm one of them, one of you. And so that success is very personal for me. And, and that's how I try to approach my work um, with the various student athletes, coaches, and teams that I work with. Because uh, when, when you are one of us, um, it just means something a little bit different and you fight a little bit differently and you understand it a little bit differently because you are one of these people. And so I might be from North Dakota. Um, and so the first question I always get is, did I grow up a Bison fan? The answer is no. Um, I did not grow up a Bison fan. And so um, that game is always, uh, always a, a little personal for me on, on different levels, uh, mostly because, uh, you know, I got a huge uh, friendship with a lot of people that are Bison fans, family members. And I go to the lake in the summer in North Dakota. I'm, in, you know, it's, it's everywhere. Right. And so, yeah. uh, you know, I go to church at that church on Christmas and I go to the family, the, the family sitting behind me on Christmas Eve, all had bison gear on. Right. Oh man. Um, so it's everywhere. Right. And, yeah. and that's what, well, that's part of what makes this rivalry fun too, that so many people care, but, but for me, this is really more of a, a personal mission, um, than it is necessarily, um, you know, um, you know, a commodity, I guess. Right. Like this is not just a job for me. It's really something that's personal. No, that bleeds through. You can tell. Um, so keep up the good work, Chris. And, you know, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I think it would be kind of cool. I'm just spitballing to kind of maybe do a series of, yeah. uh, you know, with you and kind of introduce kind of what we're trying to do at South Dakota state from a mental uh, performance aspect, just in like little bite-sized hits. Don't want to take up sure. too much of your time, but I think it'd be exciting. 
You know, I, I believe that this knowledge is, is only as good as, as you spread it, right? So having this, this information is, is only as good as the people that you share it with. And, um, you know, my mentor, Dr. Zulegger, believes that, that we should have men's performance, you know, probably in the elementary level. Like this should be a regular class, yeah. just like you took English, math, science, et cetera. And so, you know, I think one of my own personal missions is, is like, let's get this information to the masses, because I do think while we applied in a, in a sport context, um, I really believe it's a transferable life skill. And so if you can handle, for example, pressure on the, on the football field, you certainly can handle it um, when you're a brain surgeon or you're a lawyer or a teacher. Um, and so all of these things that we talk about, while, again, applied in the sporting context, I truly believe are transferable life skills that they'll take with them beyond the sporting domain. Oh, absolutely. And you usually see it start out in military or pro sports, and then it trickles down into the the public and private sector. So hopefully uh, we can make that happen and broadcast it more, more widely. Yeah. So I'd be happy to. Thanks, Chris. Uh, on that note, Thank go you. big, go blue. Go, go Jack. We hope you enjoyed this special episode. We would like to also thank our title sponsors, Drake's Place of Bottle and Cottonwood Coffee and Bistro of Brookings. And as always, Go Jacks!